Welcome to Life Minute TV, your life, your minute on everything lifestyle. Celebrity buzz, music and movie news, fashion, beauty, home style, wellness, and more. Southern rock, two-time Grammy, three-time country music award-winning artist Travis Tritt has been wowing fans for 30-plus years. We caught up with this country great from his home in Georgia recently to hear about his latest release, Set in Stone. The new album marks Tritt's first original full-length studio album in more than a decade and pays homage to all sides of his musical personality, along with his trademark original sounds from the rocking and rowdy to powerful love songs. This is a Life Minute with Travis Tritt. All right, so tell us all about the new album, Set in Stone. Well, this is the first studio album that I've done in about 14 years. And the biggest reason for that is because of the fact that I made a conscious decision about 12 years ago that I just wanted to focus on the live performance and doing the best live performances that I could possibly do. And so even though I haven't been in the studio in quite some time, I've, I've never gone away. I've been doing about 130 some odd shows a year, every year, and just trying to you know, bring that experience to the live concert stage. And that's the part of this business that I enjoy the most anyway. But I hired a new manager about two years ago by the name of Mike Cheese Brown. And as soon as we started working together, one of the first things he said was, look, I still think you've got a lot of really great music left in you. And I would love to see you write some more new music and record some more new music, not only to feed your loyal fan base, but also to draw in new people as well. And the more I started thinking about that, the more I started thinking, man, that's a great idea. And then he brought in the idea of working with Dave Cobb producing the album, and I was sold. I love everything that Dave Cobb does. I mean, the way his records sound, everybody from Chris Stapleton to Sturgill Simpson to Brandy Carlisle, Everybody that he works with, I just love the sound of his records. So it was a, it was a win-win for me all the way around. What's uh, your favorite track on the album? Oh, that's a tough one. That's like asking me which one of my kids I love the most. You know, the one thing I can say, and I'm very proud of this, is that I have never recorded a song in my entire career that I did not absolutely love. Because you never know when a song is going to catch on with people. And if you hate it and you have to perform it every single night, that would be total hell. <laughs> so I loved every song that we did on this album. I wrote or, or co-wrote eight of the 11 tracks on this particular album. And the outside stuff that we picked, I think, were songs that just really moved me and, and expressed something that I wanted to say at this particular time in, in, in my life. And uh, I think a lot of people can relate to that as well. What does the creative process look like for you? You know, what gets you inspired? Well, I think one of the biggest reasons I made that conscious choice a few years ago to focus on the live performance was because of the fact that the process for me is always pretty much the same. I, I'm not one of those songwriters that writes all the time. I never have been. I write whenever there's a new album project coming out and I go in and put blinders on. I've never been good at multitasking. So I have to go in and just focus like a laser on writing the best material that I can possibly write and having something to say at that particular point. What What is on my mind? What do I want to talk about? What I want people to relate to me about? That's That's the process. And then it's very difficult for me to change gears between 
that part of the process and then go into recording mode because recording mode is totally different. And I, once again, I have to put those same blinders on and, and be very laser focused on the recording process. And then just when you start feeling comfortable with the recording process, then it's time to go back into live touring mode, which is totally something different as, as well. So that's the process. And I'm finding as I get older, it's getting a little bit easier to deal with. I still can't multitask worth a flip, but at least I'm able to feel more comfortable with knowing exactly, okay, here's what I've got to do first. Here's what we do second. And then here's what we do third. And uh, that makes it a whole lot easier. Also, Dave Cobb gave me a really great opportunity to hook me up with a bunch of his favorite young songwriters that he's had a tremendous amount of success with and is used on practically every project that he's done over the past few years. And so getting that opportunity to go in and write with these new songwriters new to me, it was kind of a shot in the arm. It creates new excitement, new energy, kind of gives you a new perspective on the songwriting part of it. And I really, really, really was inspired by these folks and also kind of shocked by them because every one of these young songwriters that I had the opportunity to work with told me how much my music had influenced them when they were younger. And that's something as an artist, I just never really had thought about. And it was very humbling to have that knowledge that, you know, you've influenced a lot of people in the 30 some, 30 some odd years that you've been doing this for, for a living. So, you know, you're focused on the, the live music. So how has this last year been for you with the pandemic uh, and how has it affected your music? This past year has been uh, like taking a wild animal and sticking it in a small cage. You know, I love every aspect of what I do. I love, I love songwriting. I love the recording process, but there's no part of what I do that I enjoy more than going out and playing in front of a live audience, because there is a ball of energy that is created in those live performances that goes from the stage to the audience and then back to the stage and it just gets bounced back and forth. And it seems to increase the more it gets bounced back and forth, the more it seems to elevate. And that is a high for me that is like none other that I've ever experienced. When you're an old road dog like I am and doing that many shows a year and have been for the majority of my career, when it's all of a sudden just yanked out from underneath you, as it was in 2020 because of the pandemic, it's it's difficult to deal with. I start getting antsy. You know, I'm, I'm not exactly the most wonderful guy in the world to be around. If I don't have an opportunity to just get out of the house and, and go get out on the road and go play somewhere, it's honestly, I believe in my deepest part of my soul is what I was put on this earth to do. And so this past year has been difficult. Now, I've been luckier than most in that I've had some really good opportunities to go out and do shows here and there. Not nearly as many as I normally would do, but I've had the opportunity to, to do some drive-in shows and some other different types of performances when a lot of other people weren't able to. And we've seen in the last few weeks and months, things are starting to open back up almost returning back to normal. So uh, nobody is happier about that than me because I've missed it. 
man. And the thing that I've discovered in the last few weeks, since we've started returning to the live stage, is that I think the audience feels exactly the same way. I think the audience has been deprived of this experience. And that's exactly what a live concert is. It's more than just a concert. It's an experience. They have been so devastated by the lockdowns and the pandemic and all the other things that have, have gone into basically keeping them locked down in their homes for so long that they can't wait to get back out and experience live music again. So when you take that kind of excitement from the audience and that kind of excitement from the artists that are performing this live music and put it together, you can expect a pretty big sonic boom. And I, I think that's exactly what we're seeing and what we're going to continue to see for the next unforeseeable future. How did you get into music? I started singing in church when I was just a small kid from the time I was probably about five years old. We had a little children's church in our church in, uh, in my hometown of Marietta, Georgia. So while the adults were upstairs in the big sanctuary, we were having children's church and we, you know, we did crafts and we had music programs and we rehearsed for weeks. We rehearsed the old Ray Stevens song, everything is beautiful. And there was a part in there that required a solo. And I was chosen as the soloist. And so we went up and we sang that song after weeks of rehearsal. We sang that song in adult church and man, it hooked me like a tuna fish, man. I was, I was hooked on performing. I was hooked on entertaining. I was hooked on singing. I was hooked on music from that moment on. And, um, I strayed away from it for a while uh, as far as I always played music somewhere, but I never really thought about it as a career until I was well into my uh, early 20s. And all of a sudden, I went into a little club that was close to my house. It was actually a little bar restaurant type place. And I saw a guy up on a stage with just an acoustic guitar and a drum machine playing and entertaining people. And I was just captivated, man. I, I sat down and watched this guy and got to know him. And a few months later, when he decided that he was going to go to Nashville and try to pursue his own career in, in music, I went to the bar owner and asked if I could take his job. And I did. And I was working that job during the night. And then during the day, I had a regular job that I was working for a heating and air conditioning wholesale company. And after about six or eight months of doing both jobs, I finally decided that I was going to take a shot at just pursuing the music full time. And I did, and basically never looked back after I quit my day job. Who were your musical inspirations growing up? Oh, God, I was influenced by so many people. I mean, Merle Haggard, George Jones, probably were the two two of the biggest in the straight country world, which that's always been my center, my core. But I was also just as equally influenced by bluegrass music, Lester Flatt, Earl Scruggs, Bill Monroe, the Bluegrass Boys, uh, Newgrass Revival. I loved all of that stuff. Boone Creek, I just loved their music. Uh, J.D. Crow in the New South, 
Tony Rice, loved their music. And then I was also influenced by Southern Rock, Leonard Skinner, the Almond Brothers, the Marshall Tucker Band, Charlie Daniels. Those were huge influences. Later on, people like Hank Williams Jr., huge, huge influences on me. And then um, I was also influenced by blues. I grew up loving Ray Charles. I think Ray Charles is more responsible for what comes out of my mouth when I sing than probably anybody else on the on the face of the planet. Um, but I loved Muddy Waters, uh, Buddy Guy, B.B. King. I loved all those guys. And then later on, I loved Eric Clapton, Stevie Ray Vaughan. I loved all those guys. So blues was a big part of it too. So for me, I always wanted to show all of the different influences that I that I had growing up on every album that I did in some way, shape, form, or fashion. So if you take straight ahead traditional country music, mixed with a little bit of bluegrass and a little bit of Southern rock and a little bit of blues, and you sprinkle a little bit of Southern gospel over the top of it, that pretty much defines me. Who are you listening to now? Oh man, I love Chris Stapleton. I love the new Miranda Lambert record. Uh, I think it's absolutely fantastic. Uh, I love the new Sturgill Simpson bluegrass album. I, I think it's just phenomenal. Uh, those are my those are my three big go-tos right at the moment. I, I think they're just fantastic. Who have you collaborated with that was like your favorite collaboration or is there a collaboration that you're still like dying to do if your dream collaboration? Well, uh, I pretty much, I've been lucky in that regard. I've had the opportunity to work with just about every single person that I ever idolized or ever thought about or dreamed about working with. The biggest one was for me was getting a chance to work with Ray Charles. Ray Charles and I, we actually met back in the early 2000s. And as a result of meeting each other, and I told him how much I had idolized him and how much I had as soon as I heard him sing some of the songs off Modern Sounds of Country and Western Music, I went home and immediately grabbed a pencil and looked in my mirror and tried to see if I could sing like him uh, and told him how much he had influenced me vocally over the years. And we, we hit it off. We, we struck up a great friendship. And then we had the opportunity shortly thereafter to do an episode of crossroads for cmt and that was a dream come true for me just a dream come true but i had the opportunity to work with so many others i had the opportunity to record with uh waylon jennings with hank williams jr uh do shows with them i've done shows with the highwaymen willie nelson johnny cash chris christopherson i had the opportunity to collaborate with patty labelle of all people can you believe that? Getting the chance to sing with Patti LaBelle, getting a chance to uh, work with her was just unbelievable experience for me. Worked with everybody from David Lee Roth to John Mellencamp. I worked with Earl Scruggs, Vince Gill, Jerry Douglas, Allison Krauss, uh, just all these different people that I've had the opportunity to, to work with either play with on stage or record with. And in that regard, I'm a very lucky guy, man. I can't think of anybody to this day that would be able to surpass or even 
probably even measure up to those experiences. I recorded with George Jones. Uh, you know, it's just, I look back over my career now and it's, it's almost unbelievable to me that I've had the opportunity not only to get to, to meet all of these people that I absolutely idolized growing up, but in most cases to get a chance to either record with them or work with them on stage or both. And uh, what a thrill. Did Ray Charles ever give you any advice or words of wisdom? Oh, he basically just told me, he, he kind of figured that I was pretty much on the right path because he said, to me, you don't sound like anybody else. And he said, that's exactly the kind of people I like. I like people that don't, don't sound like anybody else. They sound like them. And you can recognize them as soon as they start singing. He said, you've got that and you need to stay with that. Whatever you do, don't don't change that. He said, because that's what people love about you is the fact that they can hear you and hear your voice and they can recognize exactly who you are within the first five notes. And um, I think that was that was one of the things that he was attracted to with me. And it's certainly one of the things that I was attracted to with him because nobody sounds like Ray Charles either. So your song, Smoke in a Bar, it kind of reflects on how times have changed. Yeah. How do you think music has changed, especially country music? And well, you know, over the past, I don't know, 15 years or maybe a little longer, I hear from a lot of people, people that I, you know, that I trust their opinion. And they're, and they're not in the business. They're just, they're not in the music industry. You know, these people, most of them, they work normal, regular jobs like the vast majority of everybody else. But I've, I've been hearing from those people. And then, of course, in the last few years with social media, people tell me all the time, they say, you know, we like a lot of the new country music that's coming out. But you know what we miss? Man, we miss those stories. We don't hear as many of those stories, those classic stories that country music has traditionally always told. And I certainly can relate to that because I miss them too. Those great stories that just make you, man, they make you feel something down deep. It's more than just a song that you tap your toe to and you can go out and maybe dance to. And then you forget about it five minutes later. Songs that touch your heart, that say something that you have been wanting to say, but maybe can't find the right words for. And all of a sudden here it is in a, three and a half or four minute song. Those are songs that become more than just songs. Those are songs that become the soundtrack to your life because they talk about the things that you're feeling at that particular time. And you'll remember for the rest of your life exactly where you were the first time you heard that particular song. It goes with you. And I've heard from numerous people that they just miss those stories and they miss the songs that connect with people on that level. And then, of course, in the past year, I've been hearing from a lot of people that say, man, you know, with all of the stuff that we're seeing in society right now, with the division and the upheavals and the just the, you know, people don't want to trust each other anymore and, and people just can't seem to get along. Wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to a time when people did trust each other just a little bit more and people weren't constantly, you know, biting at each other and nipping at each other and, and, and had a little bit more peace and harmony. 
wouldn't it be nice if we could go back to that? So it's all about nostalgia and whether it's nostalgia for the music or whether it's nostalgia for a, a time that has passed us by. I think that a lot of people have that nostalgia. They, there a lot of people look back at those times and they say, man, you know, I realize that we've, we've made a lot of changes, but I don't know that a lot of the changes that we've made have been necessarily for the good. So that's what the song talks about. And I think it resonates. I know it resonates. It, it resonated with me the first minute I heard it, but I'm going out and performing the song every night live. And I have been for months and the audience, when they hear a song that they've never heard before, that they don't necessarily know the words to, and they stand up and give you a standing ovation in the middle of that particular song before it's even done, before you're even through with the first verse, you know, you've got something special. And that's exactly what we're seeing every single time that we're performing that song. So I, I realize that there's a lot of people out there that, that share that same feeling, especially for country music that I do. They, they're just looking for the, the country music that tells those stories and, and it's relatable to them on a deeper level. And uh, I, I'm excited to be able to, in some small way, bring some of that back to the forefront. So in your career so far, what do you think like your greatest accomplishment has been? My greatest thrill was when they asked me to be a, a member of the Grand Ole Opry. And I'll tell you the reason why. I never thought they would let me in because I was different than all of the people, all of the peers. You know, Garth Brooks, Alan Jackson, Clint Black, those guys, they were all clean cut. Most of the other guys that were coming out around the same time as I did in country music, they were all clean cut too, you know, and they wore the cowboy hats and the starch press shirts. Me, I had hair down to about right here. I wore a lot of leather and I looked like more of a, you know, somebody that came out of a biker bar, which I did, than uh, somebody that was a, a true country music artist or enthusiast. So I was different. And I was afraid when I first came to Nashville that the Grand Old Opry would take one look at me and say, he's not one of us. He's, he doesn't fit the mold. And they would never, ever, ever let me in. And I really honestly believe that. And then the first time that I got invited to, to play the Grand Old Opry, I was backstage with my band. And we were actually playing bluegrass backstage. I was playing banjo. And we're backstage, and there were several other, other uh, Opry members bashful brother oswald and one of the uh sonny osborne from the osborne brothers was back there with me and um we're all, all playing bluegrass and all of a sudden in the middle of a song i feel a hand on my shoulder and then i hear a voice whisper in my ear and he said hey son do you know how to play cripple creek on that thing and i turned around and looked and it was roy acuff and i nearly had a heart attack because for whatever reason, I don't know what it was, but for whatever reason, I realized at that particular moment that Roy Acuff not only was aware of who I was, but he loved me and he loved my music and he loved my heart because he knew where my heart was. My heart was, was based off of 
growing up listening to the Grand Old Opry on WSM AM radio with my dad sitting in our front yard, no less, growing up in Georgia, listening to the Grand Old Opry every Saturday night. Um, and some of my earliest experiences with music and having country music heroes and people that I just idolized in music came from listening to that program. So he knew somehow he knew how much that meant to me. And he made it very clear how much affection he had for me and how much he appreciated me wanting to carry on the traditions of country music and, and appreciating the roots. And after that first time that I played, I played several more times and within a matter of just a few short months, Roy Acuff made it possible for me to be asked to join the Grand Ole Opry membership. And it was an incredible, and still is, one of the most incredible honors that I would ever, ever, ever expect to achieve uh, and have bestowed on me. It's, it's just when you realize, when you appreciate and love the roots of our industry and the roots of our music as much as I do, to have the opportunity to be a part of something that is so steeped in those country music traditions and recognize exactly what that's a part of, it's, it's just a, an honor beyond measure. What's your advice for success, just success in life? Well, I think, you know, there's an old saying, and I've, I've used it many times. Success is not a destination. Success is a journey. And I think that success is being able to do something that you really thoroughly 100% enjoy. And then if you can find a way to turn that into how you make your living, you don't work a day in your life, really. I mean, it's just the greatest blessing that you could ever imagine being able to do something that you would honestly, don't tell my manager this, but I would honestly do the music if nobody paid me a dime. But if you can find a way to turn that into something that you make a living with and you get to do something not because you have to but because you want to that i think once you re reach that point in your life if you're able to be a, among the fortunate that are that are able to do that i think that's the true meaning of success or at least it is for me it's just to have those dreams that i've dreamt ever since i was a little bitty kid uh, singing in, the, in those churches uh, down in Marietta, Georgia, to have all of that finally come full circle and to look back now and realize that for the past 30-something years that I've been living the life that most people only dream of. I'm extremely thankful, uh, and I have no, no one more to thank than the audience. The audience is the one that gave me that gift and they gave me that opportunity and they continue to give that, that opportunity every time they go out and lay money down to buy the music that I've created 
or that they put their money down to buy a, a concert ticket. And my only responsibility, I think, at the end of the day, which is a huge responsibility, but my biggest responsibility is to make sure that those people know that I appreciate all of their support because I wouldn't be here without them. And I want to make sure that they always feel like they got their money's worth when they spent their money on a Travis Tritt album or a Travis Tritt song or a Travis Tritt ticket. Do you have a favorite uh, fan memory or a favorite tour memory? Boy, there's a ton of those. My favorite fan memory, I guess, would be I got a letter. And this is in the early days, back in the in the early 90s, after I had released my second album and it did extremely well. And I got a letter one day through my uh, manager. There was a, a little girl that had gone into a, a coma and I'm, I'm, I'm not sure if it was from an accident or if it was from, I think it was from a disease. I think she had, she had some sort of disease that had left her in a coma in the hospital. And prior to her going into the coma, she was a huge fan. It was a long letter. It was like five, six pages long. But the letter basically described how much she loved my music and she'd actually been to a couple of my shows. And um, the after she went into the coma, the doctors told her parents that it would probably be a good idea to play music for her, stuff that she liked. And they started playing my music for her while she was in the hospital. And even though she was in a comatose state, they said that every time that they would play my music, her face would turn toward the source of the, of the music, toward the speakers. And she would do that every single time. And eventually, over a course of uh, a few weeks, they were playing my music for her one day, and she came out of her coma. And when you read letters like that, um, and you hear about ex experiences like that, it just lets you know that it's music is an extremely powerful, powerful thing. And it's something that I don't think any of us should ever take for granted. Music is, uh, is as moving as any form of communication known to man. And uh, I'm just honored and humbled and privileged to be in a position where I can deliver that kind of music that has that kind of an impact on people and people's lives on their day-to-day -day lives. Uh, it's, it's, that's one of the greatest, it's one of the greatest stories I think I've ever heard. What do you do when you're not making music? How do you, how do you relax? Well, I've, I've got several different hobbies that I enjoy. I, I enjoy, uh, I like to hunt. I like to fish. I love motorcycles. I have several motorcycles at my house that I go out and just take rides on. Uh, sometimes extended ride. I like to take my family camping and, uh, you know, we've got a boat. We occasionally will take out. I mean, I love all of those different things, but I met my wife 
1995 and we got married in 1997. We've been together ever since and, and we've raised three beautiful, talented children. And just to realize how important family is in my life, I can't imagine my life without having them somewhere around close by. We're very tight knit family. We do a lot of things together, uh, but at the same time, I'm watching my oldest kids now pursue their own careers in music. So they're kind of taking up the family business. So it's uh, those are the those are the things that I, I get to do when I'm not out on tour. Or I'm not working a brand new album, and uh, that was one of the silver linings, quite frankly, to this past year that with with 2020 being locked down for so long is that I got to spend a tremendous amount of time at home with my family and my wife and just enjoying that time together. Cause over the years being on the road, as much as I am, that's not something I get to do very often. So you're, you're back on tour now or you're going. Yeah, we're back on tour now. Sure are. Can you tell us about a few of the, the dates and shows? Yes. As a matter of fact, if you want to find out where we're going to be playing, you can go to www.travistritt.com and look up the tour page and check that frequently because we're new dates are being added all the time as, as we're starting to see our schedule open up with a lot of the areas that we tour in shows that have been postponed in the past or, or canceled are now starting to open back up again and we're almost not quite but we're almost back to normal again in the end of july we start uh, on a tour with brooks and dunn and that'll be going through november and i think then later on in november i think we're going to get a chance to go out and uh, a few dates with some of my dear friends uh leonard skinner so i think it's going to be a lot of fun awesome and what else are you up to what else is next for you well, right now, I mean, we're just working this new album, obviously, getting a chance to talk about the first new album in 14 years. That's exciting. That's exciting for me. So, uh, you know, we've got some other different things that we're talking about at the, at the same time. Uh, I just did a special that I think will be broadcast on the Circle Network. It was a tribute to Billy Gibbons. Had the opportunity to work with Billy Gibbons and a lot of other great people. We actually had a chance to uh, to film that in uh, the Grand Old Opry House in Nashville last weekend, and uh, that'll be coming out soon. You know, I'm I'm wide open. I'm after being shut down for so long, man. I'm ready for any and all opportunities that come my way. To see more of this interview, visit our website lifeminute.tv. And don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, Life Minute TV.